Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and the Shark. We're brought to you by Nothing But Net Radio on Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Bill Walker subscribe, so you should as well. Bill Walker, former Kansas State guy, had a few years in the league. Had a nice little scuffle with Kevin Garnett when he was on the on the Knicks. Uh, Bill Walker, he subscribes, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Taylor, uh, you are in Montana right now. How's that? How's the lake? Yes, I'm in French Montana right now. Uh, I'm looking <laughs> at <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the lake right now as we speak. You guys, this program, the listeners have all pulled me inside on an 89 degree day on the lake to talk about college basketball, uh, which I will be accepting of. Um, just living the dream, man. Living the dream, boating. Having a couple beers on the lake with the fam. Good times. Let, let's hear more about where you're at, though, Subi. Pales in comparison. Just 
I mean, it's if you want to make a comparison, it's like Rick Smith's versus prime Shaquille O'Neal. Actually, Rick Smith's held his own a little bit in that 2001 finals, but it just pales in comparison where I am. I am currently still at my parents' house. Last episode we recorded, I was at my parents' house. I'm going on about approaching three weeks in just solitary parental confinement. And anyone who's in their late twenties, early thirties know that knows that that's torture. I mean, tougher than a weekend in your in-laws, John Rothstein. Let me one up you here, man. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm slowly, but surely crawling towards the finish line, which is Saturday. That's when I fly back, uh, to, to my humble abode, but it's, it's not great. Shark. How are you? Nothing's changed with me. Uh, Taylor, what's up with you and just being from, well, not being from, but just your connection with such obscure American states that I don't know anyone that has any exposure to. You got all of them. You got Alaska. You got probably got something with Idaho. You got Montana. Yeah, actually, now. My, my sister lives in Boise. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you, you are like the person, you know, as a <clears throat> Northeast elitist, I guess, if you want to call me that, and someone that is just strictly Northeast doesn't even consider central time zone as a relevant time zone uh, scoffs at the idea of West coast teams having a good fandom and any type of sport. You are the person that is like foreign to me. I, I can't even wrap my mind around you. Well, that's what's great about theater and college hoops. We bring a lot of the country together from each and every corner uh, with our perspectives. You know, Subi has been to this house, and I believe he actually slept on this couch that I am sitting on right now to do this uh, podcast. So he's at least got a little bit of exposure uh, here. And um, to bring this kind of into a, a college basketball or college sports uh, uh, angle here, the head coach of the University of Montana football team, Bobby Houck, who previously coached at UNLV, lives about 25 doors down from us here on the lake. So we have a no. little bit we have a little bit of college uh, athletics connection here even in Montana. I to can remove this, that house. Well, hold on here, Father. To remove this entirely from college sports at all, I want to go back and circle back to where Subi sleeps. We're probably running up on maybe the – 11 year anniversary of Subi once sleeping inside of like a, a pantry cabinet in that in the town that he's in right now. So I, you know, this guy, he can, he can fall asleep anywhere. That's an impressive trait that he has, but this is about probably Sub the 11 year anniversary at this point, right? Midsummer, summer nights, Subi found himself a nice closet. Boom. Yeah. So let's, let's parse out the details here. First of all, it's not like I slept in a kitchen pantry with like Ritz crackers and Doritos. I didn't it do that. Effect, I found you the morning after you, it was effectively a pantry. No, it, it was like, it was like where they put in size back. only. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, it was in the basement. First of all, it's not like they kept food products down there is what I'm trying to trying to convey here. But yes, I mean, there were a ton of pillows and blankets and I wasn't, and by the way, this is a very selfless act. The places that I sleep is a result of my potential snoring when I'm drunk. So I locked myself in that closet and it was really comfortable. Number one, I slept in a bathtub before also relatively comfortable. It's not bad in a hotel bathroom in, in, uh, Disney. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it might be the 11 year anniversary. Taylor's place though, in Montana is amazing. I've taken, uh, the boat out, 
you know, had have you have you whipped out the uh, the beer holster yet, there, Taylor? I have. Yes, it was uh, it was a frightening <laughs> uh, situation from my family to understand the level of uh, beers that I require on a almost hourly basis in these type of circumstances. Uh, that beer holster though was inspired by you, so I don't want to. I just want to put that out there that that wasn't this wasn't something that I just ran across on my own. I did actually text you in advance to say hey man i'm gonna have a beer holster i'm not trying to cop your style here but it's just it's kind of a necessity at a lot of times shark you know what a beer holster is i don't i'm still wrapping my head around your pride and being able to sleep anywhere you know like you're talking over there as if you know i'm i'm a former marine so I've, i've dealt with people that are like navy seals and Hard ass Marine saying, I'll sleep anywhere, any climate place. Subi's just over here. Like, I'll sleep in a bathtub. I'll sleep in a closet. I'll sleep on a Montana couch. I love your pride. Haven't heard of a beer holster, though. So I, I forgot the the sleeping situations did. Uh, the inspiration for that little discussion was because I slept on, on the couch in Montana. Mind you, it was a bachelor party, so it's not like beds were uh, readily read all a ton of beds were readily available for, I don't know what, 10, 11 guys, Taylor. Uh, oh, but that couch was incredible. It was basically a bed. Oh, I like when my family is here, which we are right now, actually speaking of the Marines, my cousin upstairs, uh, Grayson, as, uh, uh, Subi knows is heading into the Marines here whenever, uh, oh, yeah. whenever boot camp opens back up for people. But, um, the couch here is the spot that I actually ch- openly choose this ab- above a bedroom because this couch is an incredible sleeping spot. And you just get to wake up and you see the, the water right there. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I had a great time sleeping there. It was very comfortable. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like a chameleon. I can sleep wherever. I'm a sleeping chameleon. Can I can I dive in here because I, I I not to just distract from this wonderful place I'm in in Montana, but we haven't done a podcast from uh, since the bachelor party that I was at. You guys did one, but I was at the bachelor party, correct? That's right. Yes, we have to let the theater goers know that you were uh, in the exact same Airbnb house that we were in late February. That's exactly what I why I wanted to bring it up. There was a hell of a lot more beers consumed when you guys were in this house than this previous bachelor party uh was was here it was um it was it was it wasn't a bad day to be a beer in scottsdale at this bachelor party it was, was like wrong with the crew you were with people just didn't want to get after it i i don't know you know uh we had this um we had this get together uh with with the bachelorette party and uh one of the days right. we got we got to acknowledge that that's a mistake first and foremost. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was not for it. I just right. I, I'm just a follower here, right? And by noon, I had had five beers. No, <laughs> typical Saturday, right? You know, and uh, our house of twelve other dudes combined, with mine included, had only had five beers. That's just poor bench performance, right there. I mean, you got your star. It's like Trey. It's like Trey Young on those Oklahoma teams. Oh no, I was shooting every possession in this in this analogy. I was getting shots up, big time. Uh, it sounds like you only took five shots. I mean, well, before off. before noon, yes, oh. before noon. That's like taking five shots in the first two minutes of the game, three minutes of the game. You know, so uh, I really did my part. I I held the beers down, um, but you know, 
the other guys got to say they were college basketball players too. And uh, I don't want to call anybody out by name, but not all of them made it every day. The sun was still up when a lot of those guys went down and that was uh, it was, it could have been a better performance than, than what I saw out there. So I just wanted to bring up that you guys really put in uh, a top level performance compared to these guys at that same bachelor party house in Scottsdale. Well, and think about it. This was, that performance was not under the impression that we would be completely locked down for the next four months. That was before all this COVID hit. So if, if you kind of lit a fire under our ass and told us, hey, this is probably the last time for a while you're going to see each other, who knows how many beers. That's that what I'm saying. I'm like, guys, you haven't done anything for four months, and this is your opportunity here in a Herb Brooks, yeah. in a Herb Brooks uh, accent there to really – All I know, all I know is – at that house, there's the basketball court in the backyard, and me and Subi ran the court, never lost a game the entire time I was there. So, you know, we played wiffle ball on that basketball court one night. That was actually an underrated use of that yard. Why on the court, though? Well, that was where there's, home, there's, it's where home base was. And then we used the corners for the bases, essentially. Classic oh, America. Yeah, what's more, what's more American than wiffle ball at a bachelor party at 110 degrees in Scottsdale in July? Not, mu- well, not much, not much. I'll, I'll tell really you this much over there. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of get it. I mean, you you get so excited for this bachelor party, and then the guys just want to have a couple beers like it's a casual Thursday night. No, they had no. They were like drinking water and watching like Peaky Blinders on Netflix and playing FIFA. I'm like, guys, we gotta go. We gotta go. We like Great we show, have to though. do something. Well, yeah, uh, of course. And you know, there's a, a an abundance of TVs in that house. But I was like, guys, we gotta like play some Snapper, play some beer pong, like flip some cups, shotgun some beers. We gotta do something here, you know. So here's what I will say: it, it wasn't your bachelor party. You weren't driving the boat. But as a leader, you got to step up in those moments. And attitude, what does it reflect? <laughs> what does it reflect, Sub? You should you should both know. I mean, you can't finish that sentence right there, Taylor. Are you kidding me? That was a, that was a layup. That is to reflect leadership. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, honestly, I, the more as you were talking right there, I was actually leaning towards the other guys watching Peaky Blinders with like. Three <laughs> right there. I, I'm with them. You know, take a little walk through the edge of town. So play that. Can we splice that in right here? Take a walk to the edge of town and go across the tracks where the viaduct looms like a bird of doom as it shifts and cracks. That's the second yeah. episode in a oh. row you're looking for yeah. a splice. Uh, we pulled it last time on oh. a little wailing. So shark sharks at bachelor party is just a bunch of dudes sitting around watching binge watching piggy blinders that's a sore subject right there well i know it is because it should have been the kentucky derby but i know uh, churchill downs is hitting me up about what i'm supposed to do with my tickets if anyone (laughs) listening right now i still i got still got some tickets to the derby in september what are we going look can we talk can we talk sports here i mean i got dinner waiting on me over here yeah let's dive in here all right we have reached our top 20 now we'll start it off out of the big east conference it is the georgetown hoyas let's talk about their resume here real quick georgetown has one national title five final fours nine conference titles nine elite eights 11 sweet 16s and 30 ncaa tournaments when i think about georgetown you think of like a a blue blood program almost right you think of uh his history you think of 
title or you, you think you think of titles, but when you really take a step back, Georgetown, these guys are the epitome of name recognition for me, at least they get carried by the legendary names, coaching and also players. But in reality, like we had just mentioned, they only have one national title, only nine conference titles, which isn't that much. It's not like they've been moving around at all. They've been in the big East forever. Uh, and nine elite eights. Now, being one of the original Big East teams certainly helps them in terms of their notoriety and how we think of them. Uh, but if you take away the logo and just sort of did a, did a blind blind taste test almost, uh, you'd really only look at the final fours, which I think it was five, like I had mentioned. But the JT3 era was kind of underwhelming in terms of meeting expectations. I mean, they were really good. They had some fantastic regular season teams. They even made a couple deep runs in the tournament, but they always got clipped up and and never really met expectations for my money, at least. And so that was a bit underwhelming and JT three, no longer there. Patrick Ewing's there right now. They had the talent, they had the high seeds, uh, but they'd always get tripped up. You think of their losses to Davidson. That's when Steph Curry really blew up. Uh, That game was Steph Curry announcing himself to college basketball and maybe even NBA world. Now, obviously Steph Curry's like, mainstream for pretty much anyone but that was the game that blew up uh and and really catapulted steph curry and then who could forget the florida gulf coast game i think in in both of those games georgetown was a two seed and had no business losing uh to either of those teams despite how great steph curry is today and one more thing before i kick it to you taylor is with all of these teams that we're about to go through i know i started with georgetown almost every single one of them has a memorable tournament game like from our uh from our existence or our sort of college basketball lifespan. There's another team on this list that has a, a, a title game from the eighties that we'll get to, but it's like one of the, you could argue the greatest national title game ever. Uh, but every single one of these teams has a, um, has a very memorable game. So, you know, you, you touched on the JT three era. you know, they've only made Georgetown's only made nine tournaments in the last 20 uh, three years, which is pretty surprising. So only about a third of the time are they making the tournament, give or take, uh, which is pretty surprising. And they did peak out a couple of times, like you said, I think those Roy Hibbert years, uh, getting up to the number two seed. But it, it it is interesting that you bring up the their losses because in my mind, those are the two most notable Georgetown games I've ever watched in my life or else, especially the Florida Gulf Coast game. I mean, that's one of my favorite basketball games. And I think a lot of people's favorite basketball game of like all time. Uh, so I I think of Georgetown as, I guess, kind of like you said, as one of those classic teams. And we hoisted them up uh, just because of that. You know, their program was really built in the 80s. They went to the final for uh, 82, 84, and 85. Hard to find a lot of programs that, have been, that went to three final fours in a four-year span. And they are one of them. And just because they are that one era behind our age, I think we look back at them with uh, rose-colored glasses, maybe. Like, oh, we should think of Georgetown as this this big basketball school, which they are. Uh, and in reality, they haven't really been that good in our lifetime uh, over a long period of time. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that for a team to be all the way up to number 20, in my mind... Their two biggest games that I remember them ever playing are both losses to schools that you'd never heard of before. Shark, what do you what what are your thoughts on that? 
I kind of agree with you guys. You know, there there is a sentiment for the 30-something-year-olds to think Georgetown is a top 15 program. There's some type of royalty that surrounds them. And then we when we crunched the numbers like we did here, they, it kind of just didn't add up. They had the one title. And I, I when I'm wrapping my mind around why that is, it's probably because of the elite-level talent that's been churned out of there in the NBA while we were growing up. You got, you know, obviously the Pat Ewings when they went and won the title. They got the Kembe Matumbo. They got Alonzo Mourning, Allen Iverson. They have all these other guys. Jesse Govan. Just kidding about that one. I have to bring it up again right here. As a Titch listener, you know about my Jesse Govan story every single time about the kid that was sitting behind me at the Verizon Center two years ago telling me that he was going to be a first-round draft pick. Nope, he's not. I don't even know where he's playing right now. So Jesse Govan is pretty much the poster boy of George 21st century Georgetown basketball. You know, he looks pretty good. He plugs in good numbers, but they're, they're never going to produce something in the tournament once they get there. But I, I really do think that the, this perception of them being an elite program, it's only because of the fact they have elite talent that's been spit out of there. Uh, they do have a good resume. Like I, I was looking at our list and I don't want to give spoilers, but we're getting to the point where you guys can probably think of the ones that are at least in our top 10. Georgetown, in terms of private universities, they're in the top five of schools in our, in our list. So they're there. Uh, maybe you can think of the other ones that are in front of them. I bet one's from Durham, North Carolina. That's the only other ones I'm going to give you, but the other two are in the big East. So you can think about that as well. Uh, Georgetown, they, they somehow cultivated this reputation within, and it's deserved, but within the past 15 years of being kind of a choking program, uh, whenever they get to the next level, obviously they were the face of that Davidson game with, uh, Steph Curry and then, you know, Florida Gulf Coast as well. And you can even go back to a few other ones as well, but always a three seed. I remember that Steph one from my mind, my beautiful mind right here, working bottom left bracket right there. So bottom left. Would you agree with me on that? I don't know. I've, I've come out and said, I, that's uh, not, I'm not that type of learner. No, uh, that, that's definitely a bottom left bracket. What I, what I do remember though, from that is I think that might've been the very last year that the huge stickers on the court, we're, we're on the court, right? It's so now you have just the regular half court logo of like the smaller blue, dark blue, I think mm-hmm. NCAA logo that Steph Curry game with Georgetown was fucking huge. It was like almost it's, it was like the Kansas Jayhawk logo, but just a huge ass circle. That's what I remember from that too. That's the type of learner I am. That's what I take away from this. There you go. Well, you know, one of the things that helps us or keeps us thinking about Georgetown too is, um, they might define when was their last final four? Uh, they, they made it under JT3. Seven, yeah, 2007. And so that's got to be why JT3 hung on for so long, you know, because he got he didn't get fired or leave for 10 years after that. They didn't really do much after that. And those were, I think, I think of Jeff Green and uh, Roy Hibbert and Dewan Summers and all those guys as um, more recent than they are now. But that was that team was that's 13 years ago. That team that Roy Hibbert and those guys played there. Roy Hibbert's that means that Roy Hibbert and Jeff Green are like 34, 35 years old, and that's surprising to me because I I think of that as a little more recent, and maybe that's just kind of uh, Georgetown or a microcosm of how everybody thinks of Georgetown. Uh, oh yeah, they just made a Final Four. Oh yeah, Roy Hibbert, Jeff Green, all these guys. That was 15, almost 15 years ago. Georgetown sort of seems like that team. That's just like, it's the nepotism team almost. 
or like relatives, sons of of dad, Fitz, like got... Fitz, Fitz Washington D.C. Well, yeah, yeah, right. true. <laughs> Shark, you should be able to speak to that, right? I mean, not the nepotism part, but the D.C. part. But like, I mean, J.T. Three, son of John Thompson. You got uh, Patrick Ewing Jr. played at Georgetown. Patrick Ewing on, now on the that coach. team on that team. Yeah. With Roy exactly. I mean, they're kind. Of, I feel like they're kind of like the Blue Jays of like the Blue Jays have Bo Bichette and like Vlad Guerrero, and I think. Is Mondesi's yeah, kid guys are, there? I don't know. Those guys are all good, though. You know, those guys right, can all play. Right. Yeah, I mean, JT3, he went to a Final Four. He could, the, the team was perennially ranked the entire time that he was there. When Georgetown was good, it wasn't like any of these guys were, you know, sons or family of administrators. At I mean, it's Georgetown's the nicest part of D.C. It's not like they're churning out people that are going to go to school for free because their dad was good while they played there. Jesse Govan is in Korea, by the way. Yeah, well, maybe it was a first round pick by a Korean team over there, but yeah. I mean, Jesse, you know that, Jesse that, Govan played the long game, though. Korea, Korea's basically got COVID locked down. Good for him. You know, I was going to point out that Otto Porter, I was such an Otto Porter junior fan coming out of college. I thought he was going to be like the man in the NBA. And uh, I mean, he's, he was, he's good. You know, but I mean, he's a serviceable NBA player. But I, re- I was like, oh man, this is going to be this guy is going to be the man in the NBA, and that clearly was incorrect. I'm glad you brought up Otto Porter real quick because the other day I had a tweet because Otto Porter was the number two overall pick. I forget what year, but he was number two overall, and the tweet was, I saw Lance. I've, I've been watching some of these bubble scrimmages in the NBA, and I saw Lance Thomas. And I'm like, I've seen Lance Thomas, and he's a journeyman. So I've, but I've seen Lance Thomas, a guy who's probably described as a fringe NBA player. I feel like I've seen him very often when watching NBA basketball, and it could be because he's bounced from team to team. But why is it that I feel like I've seen Lance fucking Thomas so often? But I don't think I've ever seen another number two overall pick, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, like not not even make a basket, let alone play. I feel like I've never seen Michael Kidd Gilchrist on my TV. So let me correct you real quick. Otto Porter was the third pick in the draft, by the way. Okay. Now, now plays for your hometown, uh, Chicago Bulls, no longer a member of the Washington Wizards, which what a, what a way to go. You play in Georgetown and you get drafted by the Washington Wizards. It is funny though. Lance Thomas is well, around they, a lot. They gave him, they gave him a max contract and it wasn't work out working out with him and Beal and wall. So they dealt him. What was it? Two years ago at this point. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he, he's kind of a lot like Jeff Green, you know, just a yeah. mm-hmm. similar type player, big oversized, small forward that's athletic and arguably be a three and D guy. But are you ever going to pay him a lot? This is a soft subject for Celtic fans like me and Sue when we dealt Kendrick Perkins for Jeff Green way back in 09 to kind of hurt that run. But hey, so not Christich out of it, though. <laughs> before True. we before we get into the uh best player favorite player uh we haven't mentioned Dikembe Mutombo yet and I I have nothing it's to not say true. about it. Shark Shark did mention Oh did Dikembe you? Oh Mutombo. shit that's my bad. That's my bad. No no no. I'm doing no finger right. wag to you. Yeah, of course, of course. Soup, who's who do we got as the best player favorite player? Which we clearly okay. have been just we were clearly hitting on every one of these throughout this whole list. I don't think we mentioned Alonzo Morning though. Yeah, I did. We, we did. All right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, real quick though, before just a quick yes or no, have you guys seen Michael Kidd Gilchrist make a bucket in the NBA? 
No, his offensive game is horrific. Yeah, I didn't want to like. What the hell were you talking about when you started going from Otto Porter to Michael Kidd Gilchrist? You know, I, I didn't know what you're talking. Yes, I have seen him score a bucket. He's been in the league for like 15 years at this point. Same draft as AD, wasn't he? It's a long time. It is well, like that is like 10 years. Like, nine, a nine years, eight yeah. years. All right. Well, that that could be a, a poll that I send out. Have you seen Michael K. Gilchrist, former number two overall pick, make a bucket? But uh, best player, Patrick Ewing. I'm all right with that. Actually, Taylor, I don't. You weren't on the last episode, but I think I had a lot of a lot of carne, a lot of beef with uh, the best player and fan favorite that that we had gone through. So Patrick Ewing, though, I think that's pretty spot on. And then fan favorite, Allen Iverson. We good with that? Any anyone else that we might have missed? Michael Sweetney. Beefy Sweetney. Come on, guys. Another high draft pick. Love that guy. Great college player, too. You know, not not knowing a lot of Georgetown fans, or maybe any Georgetown fans, so Shark would have a way better perspective than this. You could probably pick any, you know, any three of like Alonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewing, Allen Iverson as like the fan favorite. Um, I don't know which level those guys are at for those the, the people locally in DC. Obviously, Patrick Ewing's a coach, so he's kind of got a, a, a leg up on everybody else. But their best players, I think, I think of them equally as fan favorites across the board. I don't know if that's just me, um, but I don't live in DC. So, Shark, you may be able to speak to that more than I. Yeah, there's just really not much of an appetite for the, the team right now. Everyone, there's a little bit of excitement when Pat Ewing first got the job, but now that everyone's transferring, the team is, hasn't been successful. There's a little bit of a distaste for him. You would think he would be the fan favorite because of the fact that he won the title for them, um, but you know, it just really isn't there. there it, it is not a rabid fan base. It's kind of dying on, on the vine right now. Yeah, they haven't made the tournament in five years which is pretty crazy to think it's a about. a long time. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that is a long time. And you think, I, I say this with a lot of the teams that we have on this list or these lists, and that is you were in a major, major metro market area. You should not have to recruit outside of 50 miles from your campus. How can you not pull enough talent from that area specifically just to make the tournament? We talk about, especially with like the LA schools is the biggest one I always bring up in that regard where it's like, you guys don't have you can just visit your local high schools and recruit kids and you should make the tournament every year how do you miss the tournament five years in a row ucla with a nice little rebound they got the number one recruit out of california just yesterday peyton something so i mean to your point about la schools ucla is on the come up but uh i'd also like to give a really quick hug i guess quick shout out to jeremiah rivers i feel like people forget that he played on uh on georgetown previously also or either before or after Georgetown played on Indiana, but I feel bad for Jeremiah Rivers because Austin, obviously in the NBA, a real contributor, uh, Doc head coach. And I think even like his sister is part of the Curry family. Everyone's just, uh, I feel like they have some sort of status and then there's just Jeremiah Rivers. So Jeremiah Rivers, wherever you're at, if you might even be listening, uh, hug for you. Let's move on to 19 then. It is out of the big 12, Kansas State. Zero national titles, four Final Fours, 19 conference titles, 13 Elite Eights, 17 Sweet Sixteens, and 31 NCAA tournament appearances for Kansas State. This is a very very stealthy team breaking the top 20. If you had asked me, are the Wildcats in your top 20, right away I probably would say no. But all the other teams that we're going to reveal have a legendary coach or some iconic players or even just some iconic plays. 
Kansas State really doesn't have any of those. They're the lunch pail, hard hat kind of guys in this top 20. They're just very consistent. Uh, they're the consistent younger brother in the state that doesn't get the shine uh, that Kansas does, yet they produce for the most part. You know, I'd say going back to my initial point about memorable tournament games, their memorable tournament game was against Xavier, ended up winning in overtime, but it was a masterclass in bucket getting during that game. You know, Jacob Pullen and Jordan Crawford were both lights out. Rodney Magruder, who I think out of all those guys on the floor is actually a contributor now in the NBA. Uh, He was on that team, only got two minutes, actually, surprisingly. Don't ever forget about Denny Clemente. Uh, he was on that Kansas State team. And of course, just excuse me, Gus Johnson. He was on the call as well. Gus Johnson, that actually might have been his like last little hurrah in terms of calling tournament games and adding to his tournament catalog of calls. Uh, but Gus Johnson, he was calling that game. One of the more underrated tournament games. And you know what's funny is, Taylor, you mentioned the Georgetown FGCU game. I was at your place. We were watching that together. This, uh, this Kansas State Xavier game that I'm referring to, Shark, I was with you at, at BC watching that game. Uh, so two very memorable games. And actually, if you look up the score for that Kansas State Xavier game, in overtime, the score was 29 to 24. I mean, that that is absurd. 29 to 24 in an overtime like frame. Uh, absolutely zero defense was played. But those are a few of my thoughts there on the Wildcats, Shark. I'll kick it to you they are kind of the you call them lunch pail i was going to say that this this organization this program just chops wood you know they they don't necessarily have a sterling resume but they fill the categories i mean i'm blown away by the amount of sweet 16s that they've had and that just tells me when they get in the tournament they they perform well they don't win titles but they're always they're always pushing the envelope a little bit once it comes time for tournament time uh you know by my count you look at 17 sweet 16s I mean, that, that's a lot, especially when you only got 31 uh, tournament appearances there as well. Yes, they haven't broken through and gotten their title, but for a uh, what would, you would expect to be the, the secondary school within a massive basketball state, this is still an impressive resume, not one that you would expect. I bet if you pulled a lot of people and said, hey, what's a better basketball program, Georgetown or Kansas State? You know, Every single one of them is most likely going to pick Georgetown, but Kansas State did a lot of their damage. Granted, it was in the 50s and 60s, but you can't discount that, and they have carried over some success into the 2000s as well, making the tournament with Bruce Weber each of the past three years. And kind of the perfect picture of them demonstrating their success in the tournament was uh, a couple of years ago when Kentucky, when they were supposed to have that clear path, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, they were going to move along and get to the final four after UVA got knocked out in that first round. That was that year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. And then it was on Kansas state was, I I remember Carter Diaria. I can't pronounce his last name, but he was there. It was a great upset against Kentucky and they went on to play in the elite eight where they lost to Loyola Chicago. So they just find ways to be absolute pests. They're a great defensive program with Bruce Weber there, but you got to look at the coaching tree out of this school as well. Taylor, I'm not trying to steal your thunder. If you were going to bring up this point late two thousands to go Bob Huggins into Frank Martin, I mean, that, that's a head body, head body right there. And then, of course, they got our boy, Long Kruger. Shout out to the last episode when we talked about the Long Kruger range from 21 to 25. Long Kruger played there, has his number retired, also coached there. Uh, and then I feel like I'm missing one other relevant coach. Someone hit me if I'm getting it wrong. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dana Altman 
coach there as well. So a lot of really great college basketball coaches right now, you know, cut their teeth as a, uh, in Manhattan over there in Kansas. Yeah. I'd like to take back my initial statement when I said they don't have a legendary coach, Bob Huggins would certainly fit that bill. I, well, I mean, he was Huggins. there literally for one year. I'm pretty sure. And was it only just one year? I think it was. And he, you know, probably dropped some, you you, you guys aren't even talking about the most legendary coach of the coach of Kansas State. That's Tex Winter. That's right. That's what... I mean, that's obviously in those 50s and 60s when they became a big basketball school. But two Final Fours, four Elite Eight, sweet six, six Sweet Sixteens for Tex Winter. And just, you know, a whole offense, essentially, that he created that was based out of Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, I do have a personal connection to Manhattan, Kansas. Went to the Kansas State uh, upset of number one Oklahoma football or number two Oklahoma football this last year because uh, my cousin goes to Kansas State. Uh, really just exactly what you would picture Kansas State's uh, campus to look like. Huge a boost to the program or their athletics in general, because you are allowed to leave the sporting events and go back to the parking lot during games. They have a re they have a full re-entry policy. So you can go back to your tailgate and drink during games. So for me, that's huge uh, in where these guys are ranked. Um, I will say that even, you know, the perfect example of them flying under the radar to where they're at right now is they won the big 12 last year. Along with along with Texas Tech, because that was you know Kansas's year finally you know or Kansas's run finally ended. They're kind of like the Purdue of the Big Twelve. Not a ton of top end success, but you go back and look at their resume, and they're like shit. They're there every single year, and they're not petering out early in the tournament. And they've won the conference twenty times. Even you know that goes back to the you know the nineteen. 20s or whatever but really just a consistent program they've made the tournament eight of the last 10 years which is better than probably i mean how many schools do you think have made the tournament eight of the last 10 years 20 maybe 15 you know really low so it's not even just that their success was uh kind of like you said shark their success wasn't just in the 50s and 60s that's where they got their top end success but they're successful every single year even consistently uh pretty much starting with michael beasley uh in that 08 period until now they've made the tournament almost every year just missing it a handful not even a handful of times in there well i just last so this current year 2020 they didn't win the big 12 they were they were terrible oh, excuse me 2019 yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, 2019 yeah yeah when they had uh dean wade soup your boy dean wade when he that kept getting hurt over the time yeah they were good that year you're right about that one i've kind of even i've kind of already forgot that this about this last year just simply yeah I, i'm like blocking it from my memory it's, it doesn't feel like last season last season was 2019 we just skipped this 2020 shit yeah, sloppy and abbreviated was last year. So I'm with you on 2019. Another point about that Elite Eight Kansas State run, uh, I definitely thought that was going to be a game that completely broke P.J. Washington. Because if you guys remember, P.J. Washington missed a ton of free throws down the stretch for Kentucky and was kind of the sole reason, I guess you could say, why they lost that game. P.J. Washington now actually flourishing a little bit with the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA. And last year, he had a great year. Two years ago, he had a great year. Uh, but I definitely thought P.J. Washington might have gotten broken in that tournament game. But yeah, Kansas State, very interesting team. Uh, certainly not a team you would expect to be in the top 20, but here they are because of their resume. And then in terms of best players, I think this is pretty easy. Michael Beasley. 
number two overall pick, amazing in Manhattan in his lone year. Had one of the best quotes as well about being paid in college. I think he said something to the effect of, like, I chose Manhattan, Kansas to play college basketball or something like that. Uh, so Michael Beasley, best player. And then fan favorite, Abe Lincoln Beard, Jacob Pullen. Like I said, contributed to one of the best tournament moments in, in recent memory. Uh, anyone else that, that we might be able to think of? I feel like they, people love yeah, D. Wade too. Big one, you miss Mitch Richmond. So we probably should have corrected you on whatever the stats was beforehand, but Mitch Richmond's definitely the best player to come out of there. No offense to Michael Beasley. I, I guess Beasley might have been a better college player because that one year when he was there, because it was him and Durant going back and forth. Um, but yeah, I'd I, I take Mitch Richmond. So before we move on, let me just toss a couple stats at that you guys here. They are 16th all time in uh, weeks ranked as the number one team in the country in the AP poll. And even more impressive than that, they're seventh all time in elite eight appearances and third all time in number one draft picks in the NBA. That even though they're only 39th in all time wins, which we've gone through a lot of schools behind them that have more wins, but they have a lot of top, they're top 25 in weeks ranked in the top five in final four appearances in elite eights in sweet 16s and in tournament appearances. They're, they're the most underwhelming overachieving school you could we probably have on this list where you're like holy shit they've been ranked number one in the country enough times to be in the top 16 teams in the country all time and the amount of time they spent at number one yeah it's it's pretty wild quick uh quick note though there's shark he was battling michael beasley was battling with derrick rose odin and durant were the year prior derrick rose was uh the same year as Beasley kind of feel almost a little bit for Kansas state fans. You know, if they go into the season, probably thinking, Oh shit, we got this stud in Michael Beasley. And then the season ends with Kansas pulling a national title kind of out of their ass in the national title game. Uh, so hook for Kansas state there as well, but Kansas state at 19, let's move on to number 18 out of the ACC. It's the NC state wolf, NC state Wolfpack. Uh, two national titles, three Final Fours, 13 conference titles, six Elite Eights, 13 Sweet Sixteens, and 27 NCAA tournament appearances. So when we think NC State, what to say about them? So much of how we live our life today and the quotes we say directly are impacted by their legendary coach, Jim Valvano, the Shark. You On this episode, you said part of what your, your pastor you know, said to you, you quoted Jim Valvano, right? He did. Yep. In my wedding, the, the deacon got up there without briefing me beforehand and my college basketball obsession dropped Valvano in the homily. It was incredible. That's how amazing this quote is because a deacon wake forest quoted an NC state Wolfpack. Where the hell am I? Rivalries, weddings. It's all beautiful. But yeah, <laughs> this actually might be uh, the rare case where the fan favorite is actually a coach over any player. I think this might be the only case where the coach would be the fan favorite. Uh, but keeping with the theme, they had one of the greatest NCAA tournament runs and arguably the greatest title game ever played, like I had mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, in defeating five slam and jamma on the missed shot alley-oop. Uh, but much like Kansas State, they've kind of been shoved to the corner by not only one big brother, but two in Carolina and Duke. It's tough. It's tough getting some elbow room, finding your place at that table uh, in the ACC, not only in the ACC, but also in the state of Carolina. Uh, but ever since I can remember, NC State has always been lukewarm, you know, going from Herb Sendak to Sidney Lowe, then on to Mark Gottfried, now Kevin Keats, who I love, big Keats guy. 
uh, but they just can't ever make a serious break breakthrough. And if you actually look at their deepest runs uh, amongst all of those coaches, they never got past the sweet 16. They are maximum, the epitome maximum of a sweet 16 team. Uh, so, I mean, we can discuss current NC state past couple of years. We can discuss the eighties and Valvano. We can discuss strictly that national title game if we want. Uh, but those are some of my thoughts there on the Wolfpack. Taylor, what do you think? Well, they're almost the exact opposite of Kansas state where we think of NC state as being a team that's up there so much. And I pick them in the tournament every fucking year. And I lose that part of my bracket every year by the second round, like you were saying. Um, you know, they've also had a ton of talent. David Thompson is one of the best college basketball players ever. Three-time first-team All-American National Player of the Year. Most outstanding player of the Final Four in 1974. He is He's on the short list, even with all those UCLA guys from back in the day of of greatest basketball players or college basketball players of all time. I think part of where they're at, like you said, um, is in not being higher is because they they really haven't done, like you said, they haven't done much. Even those Herb Sendek years where before he was hired at ASU, which is funny, uh, not being an ASU hater, even though I am, that Herb Sendek would leave. NC State to AS to go to a, a school like ASU, and that's maybe um, a better indication of where NC State actually stands versus how we think about them. If you were at a high major, high high major basketball school, your coach isn't going to get hired out from under you to go to a school like ASU, and maybe that's just where NC State actually is. I will say that um, a, a good example of of where NC NC State rates amongst uh, you know the all-time greats is they've played 30 NIT games. That's a lot, in my opinion. And have, not looking, having not done research into it, having played 30 games in the NIT is a lot. So they're always just the team that's like almost there, but not quite. And I think that's probably the best way to describe NC State. Sharks. Is that is that 30 NIT games or 30 separate? NIT appearances. They played 30 games in the NIT with 12 NIT appearances. 12, so, yeah. but 30 NIT games means that you're winning games in the NIT and you're, you're, you know, you're getting, they have 17 wins in the NIT. So that's a lot. So every time they're in there, so they're like, just like the best group. They're the best team that isn't at the level that all the teams that are making the tournament are every year. Yeah, I, I think one thing we're overlooking and for our audience that is more around the 40-year-old age, a decade ahead of us, the in the 80s, NC State was just absolutely, obviously they won in 83, but they were making the tournament every single year. They had a lot of NBA talent coming out of there. They had obviously Nate McMillan, Vinny Del Negro, Tom Gugliotta, going back to the team that was in the title, Derek Wittenberg, you know, Subi mentioned him in the beginning, but Sidney Lowe was on that team. Like this team year in and year out, was making the tournament and doing damage. I've been trying to think of a good example of you know, who I would connect that to right now, and I think the closest thing would probably be uh, maybe like a Florida right now over the past 10 years. Obviously not the titles. Um, 
actually, maybe not even Florida. Give me someone that's won a title within the past 10 years. That's kind of always knocking on the doors. Louisville would maybe be one if we're not going to take away their title that one year. Louisville would be a good one um, because that's kind of what their run was like. I, they, they churned out talent. They had Jimmy V running it for them and they, they were, they were a strong and elite program for the college level at that point. Yes, it hasn't been the same uh, in our heyday. The only the best example I can think of is Julius Hodge. I remember him being the the vintage Van Wilder figure, where he's always on the team year in and year out. Uh, we had some tweets going back a few weeks ago about you know you see this guy and Perry Ellis thinks that the corona something funny tweet about Perry Ellis and the coronavirus. Well, I was thinking Julius Hodge was the first person that I could remember as being someone that I can't believe he's still in college. He's in our Van Wilder house, but He's one of those figures. Uh, and then they've kind of just of late, they, uh, to me, at least they're kind of the poster boys of being an overrated program. I never expect them to do much uh, in the tournament if they get there. They're just very one lukewarm. My, one of my favorite players of all time is Cat Barber. We always bring him up. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't yeah. understand why because he's got a cool name. Like that team sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah, weren't yeah, good at all. Yeah, very cool name, cool hairstyle, point guard. I so. Like that. Look I, think at I, I, I think that was actually the team Taylor that you probably took deep because yeah. of Cat Barber. TJ Warren was TJ it's Warren a on terrible, the team. Uh, it's a terrible yeah. pick. It's a terrible yeah. pick. Of course. Well, yeah, but they always have the talent. They had like CJ Leslie was on that team who had one of the best high school mixtapes of like all time at Word of uh, Word of God Academy. Uh, I think he played with John Wall in, in in high school. But if you look at their you know, why we think of NC State so highly is they have 25 players that have honored jerseys. 25. So it's essentially 25 retired jerseys. That's a shit ton of really good players who've gone through your school. That team that won the national championship, Lorenzo Charles, Thurl Bailey was the seventh pick in the draft, and we don't. nobody would even ever bring him up in any discussion. I Sydney was about Lowe. to actually. Th- Thurl, Thurl Bailey, all-time name, by the way. I mean, that's just such a yeah. name that you say with your gut. But I saw yeah. Thurl ba- Bailey the other day. Apparently, he's the uh, color commentator for the Utah Jazz. And I was oh, wow. like, I know where that name is. Where that? Where, where's he from? Yeah. You got, and, like, and like Shark said, Derek Wittenberg, too, on that same team. Well, which ton is of funny. Talent, ton of talent that's gone through there. And maybe that's just why... NC State is thought of maybe a little more highly, you know, and, and I'd love to talk to an NC State fan because an, an, talking no, to an I, NC State fan is probably they were it's their whole life is probably con- trying to convince you that they are a better basketball program than uh, some of the other schools, even in their own state when they're just not. I think there's only one retired number in that program, and I, well, I'm, I'm I'm taking honored, the, I'm saying honored jersey. So these are the people that they have hung in their ring of honor or whatever. Okay, yeah, yeah. but I mean, I think it, I'm taking the exact opposite approach. Where when they won the national title in '83, the most outstanding player in the in the Final Four that year was Akeem Olajuwon. It wasn't even Derek Wittenberg. So like they won the game, and they didn't even get the. They didn't even get the MVP out of it as well. So no, I, you, know, I mean, were, no, you know what? Your your perspective is right. And that's kind of actually you you are correct in this. And yeah. that's why NC State is where they are, is because they've got honored players and but not like winning players, I guess maybe yeah, I, I would put it. No, I mean obviously there's no there's no elite player to come out of the pro like Sidney Lowe would he, he got fired David, by the David, he got fired as a coach recently. David right? Thompson. David Thompson. Yeah. He's the, that was the only retired number with the program. I think. Well, right. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah they can have their role of the ring of honor or whatever. He's yeah. more than elite though. David Thompson. No, absolutely. I agree. You said all yeah. the right things there. 
I mean, NC State was weird. I mean, they, they've been lukewarm, and then they had that one really fun year with Gottfried and Dennis Smith Jr. I mean, cl- Gottfried clearly cheated, and I think he got busted for it. But Dennis Smith Jr. beating Duke in Cameron, ending the game on that absurd dunk. Uh, and then, yeah, like you had mentioned, TJ Warren, who's having an all right career here in the NBA. But best player, I think we said, was Julius Hodge. Again, I'm, I mean, David Thompson's probably uh, another answer, but too much love for Hodge as, a, as the dean. No. No, actually, Shark and I got into this argument. David Thompson is far and away the best yeah. player that's ever played at. at no, State. he's definitely right. Yeah, we should have we should have updated that as well. <laughs> well, like, like not even in the same gym yeah. type of difference here. Oh I'm, man, uh, Julius Hodge might be sitting upper deck in the gym. He might be in the gym. <laughs> I'm I'm going to tweet this out because I'm a man of integrity. 2020 is the year of accountability. Been saying it ever since the turn since the ball dropped. So we're tweeting out Julius Hodge. But the answer on audio is is David Thompson, and then hold on, no, I know I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep going on this. Julius Hodge was a second team All American one year. David Thompson was a first team All American three times, and the National Player of the Year, and the most outstanding player of the Final Four. I'm not fighting you. <laughs> I ain't gonna fight you. I ain't gonna fight you. That's uh, wedding crashes for you. Uh, fan favorite BJ Anya. I, I just love this. I mean, that's just a fat guy vote right there. All-time leader in blocks at NC State, BJ Anya. Would love to see BJ Anya and Mike Sweetney just get into a post-up matchup. 30 minutes of that in a game right there. Oh, my God. Just I would have beef I going chosen, back and forth. I would have chosen Anthony Cat Barber or CJ Leslie, but a clear, those no. answers would have been incorrect. I do think it's worth noting that if NC State doesn't have the two titles here, then we're we're looking at them being in the high thirties of a program because outside of that, you know, they're kind of just they're you're closer to like Pitt than anything else. But they oh. have the two titles from a relevant time period, seventy four, eighty three. Uh, that that moves you up in our book. Well, serious yeah. serious question here though: if North Carolina State isn't located in North Carolina. Do they even have the name, the cachet that they have even at 19? Yeah, two titles. Yeah, two, yeah, two, you, two you titles. Think, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm just but, saying, because North Carolina is known as, you know, big basketball state and obviously UNC, Duke, Wake, all of that. If they were West Virginia State and with the same resume, would we think of them similarly? Well, I think we're missing the biggest driving factor, and that's the Valvano storyline. And that's their 83 title team. That's oh, one yeah. of the greatest well, underdog yeah. national like, oh, yeah. championship stories. So if that, if that was West Virginia State, it was if it was anyone else that had the two. T- I mean, if you pluck them out of North Carolina, put them anywhere in the country, I still think that they do have that cash. Well, and it's what keeps not that they're not relevant because they've made the tournament, you know, five times in the last ten years. So they're here and they're there, whatever. But the fact that Jimmy V is such a big name, it does keep them in the news cycle every single year during the Jimmy V uh, classic and all that type of stuff. Uh, you know, obviously the speech gets played, but along with that speech, there are highlights of him running around the court, winning a national championship, looking for someone to hug keeps NC state in the news and on TV, even when the team may or may not be good. I don't think people even know if the team is good or good or, or not some years, but during the Jimmy V classic, we know that that's associated with NC state. Yeah, doesn't matter. They got the two titles at this point. Yeah, every team that we're listing, it's like they're all going to have the titles for me. The only ones below them that we've already identified that had two titles are Florida and San Francisco. So everyone that's coming above them, we're, we're, they've either won once or twice at this stage. Let's move on then to seventeen out of the Big Twelve. 
It's the Oklahoma State Cowboys, two national titles, six Final Fours, 19 conference titles, 11 Elite Eights, 11 Sweet Sixteens, and 28 NCAA tournament appearances there for the Cowboys coming in at 17 again. The program that Eddie Sutton built, may you rest in peace. Uh, I think last episode or maybe two episodes ago, we discussed Florida, and I was like, that's the program that Billy Donovan built. Well, this is the program that Sutton built. Historically, they've got a great resume, and they were surging with Travis Ford, actually, uh, as the head coach. But ever since he departed, the program's kind of been in limbo. Mike Boynton now taking over, uh, and he's only a couple years into his into his stay there in Stillwater. But it sucks even more because Cade Cunningham is coming out, but they can't go to the postseason. Another thing that we sometimes gloss over in, in this criteria is the arenas. Gallagher Iba is one of the most underrated venues in college basketball and another in, in uh, incredibly underrated tournament game that we've brought up in the past here is that game uh, against St. Joe's in that tournament game against St. Joe's against uh, Delonte West and Jameer Nelson Cowboys ended up winning that game shark. You and I were in the ESPN zone in New York uh, and Cowboys ended up going to that final four. I think their last final four that they've been to uh, and, Let's not ever forget about the Graham twins as well. We always talk about John Lucas, talk about Eddie Sutton. The Graham twins uh, were were key contributors there as well. I think one was a pilot. One played in uh, up for the Toronto Raptors. I think there were Stephen and Daniel Graham. Would love to know where the hell they are. Uh, but Oklahoma State there coming in at 17. And it should also be noted uh, that I think Eddie Sutton, I'm pretty sure Eddie Sutton uh, helped. I mean, he helped navigate them through that incredibly difficult time when there was a plane crash. Uh, I, I forget if it was the basketball team or it was some team for Oklahoma state. Don't quote me on yeah, that. It was, the, it was the basketball team. It was the basketball team. Okay. It was, they had three, three planes. I have it pulled up in front of me right now. Uh, they had three planes that were um, coming home from a loss to university of Colorado and uh, killed several players on the team. Uh, one of their announcers, a news reporter, uh, director of basketball operations, one of their trainers and a student assistant, and then a couple of the, uh, or both of the pilots as well. And I got, I mean, it's almost, you, you we always think of like Marshall for when plane crash stuff in, in terms of sports. Uh, I couldn't imagine what, uh, you know, the social media world that we live in now, what that would have been like, uh, it would a college basketball plane crash happened. Um, I, I, I'm not sure what, point i'm trying to make with that i'm just saying that like with it was right before the social media time and you know the the impact of that stuff for the the wide reaching um impact of that stuff obviously we have like the movie we are marshall and all that type of stuff but we don't really we don't ever really hear much about uh, the oklahoma state plane crash but i interrupted you so continue on no, that was pretty much my my thoughts. I mean, I think Eddie Sutton deserves a, a real hat tip, not just for what he's done on the court, but navigating through that incredibly difficult time for Oklahoma State just elevates his status of, of true legend, uh, not only in Stillwater, but also all of college basketball. Shark, what are your thoughts on the Cowboys there at 17? Six Final Fours, man. This program gets there, and it, it, they really, if it wasn't for that Travis Ford run that they had, they could be higher just because if you pull up their how they've performed from the mid 2000s on uh, post Eddie Sutton, you know, Travis Ford was making the tournament nearly every single year uh, when he was coaching there. He coached there about you know almost 10 years and he would always lose in the second round. Uh, 
four losses in the second round, one Sweet 16 appearance. Heck, this program hasn't even been to the Sweet 16 since 2005 when Eddie Sutton was there. Now, he was great in the 90s with that with that school. I mean, they made the Final Four once in 95, and then again in 2004, the John Lucas year, which I think that was – they should have won, but uh, Georgia Tech, Will Bynum at the end, big time bucket to advance on and they got, they go to the finals instead, but that, that team of Oklahoma state was phenomenal. Uh, but they really have completely tapered off since that run. Uh, and they've had opportunities to get there as well. So it, it's, it's a great program. Six, six final fours is impressive in and of itself. And they, they stuffed the stat sheet everywhere else. So, Yeah. So interestingly about Eddie Sutton, you know, he left Kentucky uh, in the midst of major recruiting scandal and uh, almost the death penalty in 1989 to go to Oklahoma State and almost reinvent himself um, like instantly. Who took over for him? You guys know? What year did he leave? 89. Oh, that'd be a good one. Actually, well, who I might actually might be wrong about who I knew. I know Rick Patino eventually was the one that came in for Kentucky. I don't know if he came in in '90 right there or not, but it was eventually Patino. Yeah, hmm. I would have to let me look that to, up. Yeah, let me. Yeah, um, but yeah. So interesting. Uh, we don't think of Eddie Sutton. Eddie Sutton is coached at Creighton, Arkansas, and Kentucky. But we don't think of him as anyone else other than an Oklahoma State coach, right? Is that accurate amongst us three? Absolutely, yeah. He coached at Kentucky for four years. He coached at Arkansas for 11 and Creighton at five. All big basketball school, schools. Two of them we haven't even talked about yet. So, the, And that's pretty big and pretty – it must be pretty accomplished at one school if – you're talked about and only thought about at Oklahoma state. Now, I think part of the reason for that is he also played at Oklahoma state in the fifties. So he is, you know, full Oklahoma state born and bred uh, was their most successful. One of their most successful players as well as one of their most successful coaches. I always think that's pretty cool uh, to have a coach like that, but I want to go all the way back to the first thing you said. And Subi, one of the things I wanted to say was Gallagher Iba arena is one of the most underrated places playing college basketball, not to beat a dead horse in saying that, but I think the cool part about Gallagher Iba arena is that when they renovated it, they, they dug out the floor. They didn't push up the ceiling. They dug out the floor. So that, that added a number of rows and it gives that arena a uh, very intimate feel having not been there, obviously, but a very intimate feel and where everybody's kind of on top of the court, uh, just simply because of that, the, that design aspect that has nothing to do with what you are as a basketball program, because you had really nice architectural design and digging out your floor, just, you know, making the point that their arena is, I think, and maybe Eddie Sutton is kind of the same way. Eddie Sutton is probably one of the two or three most underrated basketball coaches of all time. Gallagher Ivy arena is probably one of the two or three most underrated, uh, uh, venues, in college basketball and clearly Oklahoma state is one of the most underrated basketball programs as a whole of all time, because I don't think anyone you would ask would put them at 17 uh, or 18. What are we at? 18 without 17 at 17 without knowing, you know, without doing the deep dive into the numbers. 
Yeah, and Shark, you were right. Rick Pitino did take over Freddie Sutton there at Kentucky. Uh, but Oklahoma State, man, they've had some really fun players. I feel like that you can just – it's easy to root for them. I mean, some people have their opinions about Marcus Smart and his flopping, but Marcus Smart was awesome at Oklahoma State. Markel Brown, I think, was the high flyer for for them. Uh, they had that little white point guard uh, who was Marcus Smart uh, – Phil Forte. And then they had like – you're, you're being disrespectful right now. You're missing my – you're missing my boy. I say my boy too. The quintessential, yeah, my boy. The quintessential Eddie Sutton. No, the quintessential Eddie Sutton player from the '90s. My boy, uh, Doug Gottlieb. No, that wasn't my Gottlieb. boy. Okay. Oh my god. No, I was like, you're not bringing up LeBron Nash. LeBron Nash. That's that that him and Markel Brown. That guy was a freak. Gottlieb, I know you're listening. I got, I got you right there. I got you, friend Gottlieb. of the program. Should we I was say got, yeah. friend of the program? Uh, he used to be. Uh, 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 he's a great friend. Kotlieb's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely your boy. Yeah, that, uh, he used to be my boy, but I'm not. I'll let you, you can have him. Let's hey, put it not, that way. You not, can have we're him. Not get, we're not getting political here, all right? We're not, oh, no, not, no, not, no, not, no, not even talk. No, not even politically. Just the he's like hot, like hot take, sports hot take central yeah. now. Yeah, he, hot assist as well. Gottlieb, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's got to be so, so jarring as a fan base when you have Eddie Sutton there forever, and then some normalcy with Travis Ford, like you had mentioned, ten or so years. But Travis Ford, well, they need and, to- you know, you know who sandwiched Travis Ford and uh, Mike Boynton? Your boy, Bunderwood. That's my boy. That's yeah. my boy. <laughs> well, Gottlieb is like openly campaigning to get the job, you know, post Mike Boynton because I, let's be honest, like. Boynton got Kate Cunningham, but the team was absolutely atrocious in the time that he's been there. Gottlieb wants the job. Gottlieb will fix that program and get him back to the Eddie Sutton days. In 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 the era of player empowerment, I could not see Doug Gottlieb turning around a basketball program. Oh yeah, he easily could. Nah, uh, uh, he's he's too snarky now. I I don't think that he he's the type of guy that thinks he's like. Hey, fellow kids, what's up? I'm a cool young dude. You know, he was highly I, recruited. It's a good ball player. Yeah, twenty fucking thirty years ago. Like, yeah. I I think he's a guy who thinks he's like part of the part of the kids. What are the kids saying now? You know, I think he's one of those guys, and I don't think that's actually relates to. Like, I don't think a guy like Gottlieb could walk into a living room somewhere and be like, "Yeah, man, like you're my boy. Let's do this." I don't think yeah, that's gonna great. happen. I, so I think. I remember listening to an interview he did. It was probably on um, bleep this out, but Titus and Tate. It was probably on that one when they interviewed Gottlieb, and he was talking about why Eddie Sutton fits our main over. our main podcast rivals. Titus well, and Tate. we are their rivals. We're above them in the rankings in terms of all that stuff. You just got to speak it into existence. But anyways, um, Gottlieb was talking about how Eddie Sutton was the perfect fit in Stillwater. And when he was in Kentucky, he never played with the good old boy clubs where he's supposed to go to the down to the car dealership and give them, you know, 20 tickets or so to deal out however he wanted to. Eddie Sutton was just a no nonsense guy, had his hot takes, had his opinions. And that fit what needs to be done in Stillwater in a small Oklahoma city like that, which is exactly what I think Gottlieb would do if he was given that opportunity. So take that. I'd love to see Gottlieb on the sidelines. I mean, it'd be great theater. It would be a lot of fun watching him hope like try to turn around a program at least. Him and Gundy, whoa, those two. For, yep. For for however long he's still there, yeah, it would be it would be great. Uh, oh. not to, 
Oh, not not to get off this track here, but to make one more Gallagher Ibe Arena point. They are still using their original floor from 1938. That's points. That I mean that we put home court as the it's criteria the, for this though. So. It's yeah. the most expensive maple floor in the United States, so says the uh, Gallagher Ibe Arena Wikipedia. Can't yeah, can't back that up with any actual numbers, but that's what they say. So that's a good nugget. Uh, we we gotta get we gotta when, get when, when we're sitting at a bar, maple courts when we're sitting at a bar whenever sports like basketball returns. It's like, hey, do you know that uh, Oklahoma State's florist original most expensive maple floor in America? That at a bar. That's I mean that's it's at least a talking point. So if, if they're on if they're on TV or whatever, you know, I always turn. It's not necessarily bar trivia, but if you ever find yourself in Stillwater, if you're ever in the presence of an Oklahoma State fan, that's when you bring it up and you're like his boy. From then on, you are the the guy that in like a month, two years, whatever, when he's talking to his friends, he's like, yeah, so I met this guy for in who knows where he knew about the maple floor nugget. Can you believe it? And that's how you grow street cred across the country. So I saw how you grow viewership for your college basketball podcast. Exactly. Uh, Best player. These are two guys that we haven't mentioned, but best player, Tony Allen. I'm all right with that. Uh, And then fan favorite. Maybe an NBA fan favorite since we're on the barn here. Memphis guys, Grizzlies guys, I should say. Uh, Bryant, Big Country Reeves. I'm okay with that. I have no qualms with that. I'm I'm all good. Qualmless. Good. All right. Let's move on to our last team of the episode at 16 out of the SEC. It's the Arkansas Razorbacks. It's not Arkansas. It's Arkansas, baby. Quote it. Darren McFadden. Oh, D-Dog. Yes. Thank you. 509. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's, that's what we'll be. That's what I'm going to be splicing into here, Shark. Uh, give this man, the, give this man the Heisman. Give him the Heisman. All right, sorry. Mark May, Lou Holtz. You better give this man the Heisman. I love that quote. Uh, he, who who was that, Shark? I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm hungry. Houston Nut. Houston, Houston Nut. Nut. One more Two for teams. you. One more for you, Soup. Busting loose. And that's how you pronounce it, ain't Arkan? It's Arkansas, baby. It's some guys like Darren McFadden, baby. I love you. What an what a Y'all better put him in the Heisman. You better put him up there. I'm tired of him being number three, wood. number four. We got that wood right here, baby. Somebody better look at this right guy. Here. He's the best football player in the country, and his name's not being mentioned. Lou Holtz, Mark May, number five. You better look at him a little closer. He's a football player. Also, I mean, McFadden. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. That's the greatest. That's the greatest interview of all time. Continue on. Arkansas at 16, one national title, six final fours, 24 conference titles, 10 elite eights, 11 sweet 16s, 32 NCAA tournament appearances for the Razorbacks. I actually don't have a ton uh, to talk about Arkansas, but when you think about the program, you think Nolan Richardson, you think Corliss Williamson, those guys. uh, And they also had the coolest nicknames, I feel like. I mean, Corliss Williamson was the big nasty. That's pretty awesome. And then uh, just their brand of basketball. It's not very often a entire program or brand has like a nickname of the type of ball that they play. Uh, but Arkansas had 40 minutes of hell. So Mike Anderson, most recently, you know, he did a pretty good job with that program. Now it's under the leadership of my boy, Eric Musselman. Uh, but they're a program that, you know, I'm a little bit surprised that they're this high. I think a lot of the damage came from uh, the Nolan you know, the Nolan Richardson era, but you know, it was a lot of 
a lot of the time spent in the nineties, but I do feel like Arkansas is that one team in the sec. That's always a thorn in the side of uh, a team that's supposed to win the sec, like a Florida or a Kentucky, like a, a super Tuesday with Jimmy Dykes on the call in Fayetteville, Arkansas is probably going to win that game and they're probably going to upset you. Uh, they're just one of those types of programs. So Arkansas coming in at 16, the resume speaks for itself, but unlike the other programs that we talked about, it's not like they have a plethora of names or crazy tournament games that you can think of off the, off the top of your head, uh, but a great program nonetheless, clearly. Yeah, I mean, they th- 32 tournament appearances is a ton. That's more than I'm looking it up right now. I, I they're in. Uh, they got to be in the top 20 of uh, most tournament appearances of all time. Uh, Nolan Richardson, Eric Big Ten. They're almost like UNLV with like actual extended success outside of like a 15 year span, even just given the style of play that they have or had. And then also the era in which they came about to be popular. Um, There's not one person that is a casual basketball fan that would tell you that Arkansas has six final fours. Not one. I, 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 you know, maybe you could say, oh yeah, they, they won a national championship under Nolan Richardson, but no one would, no one would tell you that they have six final fours and they do. Um, I think that their amount of conference championships is really interesting given the fact that they're in the same conference as Kentucky and Florida and a number of these other basketball programs. Now I, you know, they haven't won a conference championship since 1994, which is quite interesting. Um, but the, the, the numbers are still there. Uh, Subi, you might have to enlighten me on how many of those were in the SEC with Kentucky if you have that in front of you. But that's how many how many conference championships did you just say they had? Arkansas has 24 conference yeah. championships. That's a, that's a ton in considering that you're in the same conference as Kentucky. I assume they were in the same conference as Kentucky for most of those. And that's, but that's a, that's a big number for any, any, I think they were in, they, I feel like the big West was a thing at some point. I mean, was it the big, was it it's the big Arkansas, South? It's Arkansas? In the I West. don't know, man. Conference realign that's something, but it was, it might've been, I don't know, but you, you're probably right. Yeah. Sorry, I, I would just say, Arkansas? No, for, I mean, Eddie Sutton kind of put them on the map in the late 70s. He's coached there and had them go on this run from pretty much 76 until 2000, where they were one of the better programs in college basketball. They were made, they were won a national championship, obviously, but they've made a, made a couple, a couple Final Fours in there as well, and they played a brand of basketball that was exciting enough for people to get excited about the program. Muscleman kind of plays a similar way. So maybe they're trying to get back to that, but it's not like they haven't been trying to do it with Mike Anderson afterwards, even though he was on that Nolan Richardson staff way back when. So, you know, they, the nineties Arkansas basketball is kind of uh, something that that's a team. When you think of the nineties college basketball, you got to think of that. You think of those colors, you think of the hogs, you think of uh, the way they played and Corliss Williamson and everyone else. But, you know, they're, they're a program where they've, they've, only got the one title, but everything else is pretty much elite with the amount of times double digits in both elite eights and 16s, 30 plus tournament appearances, and then all those conference titles. Granted, a lot of those are probably from the 40s and 50s, but it's it's a program that deserves to be in the top 20, no doubt. And much like um, much like what what we just discussed there with Oklahoma State, they probably could have done a lot more damage had they weren't always a eight or nine seed getting knocked out in the second round. To, this cent in the past 20 years or so. 
So they are 14th all time in NCAA tournament appearances. That's, I mean, that's talk about consistency, but you just wouldn't think of them because they don't, I mean, since, well, shoot. I mean, since the nineties, they haven't really done much, but even in the night in that Nolan Richardson area, they made the elite eight four times in the nineties. That's all. That's a lot. I mean, we remember us three can remember almost probably almost every elite eight game we've watched in our lifetime. You know, it, 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 if we brought it up four over a 10 year span, especially over a, a five-year span, which is essentially what it was, is is a lot. And the three final fours in that same span, if you were, if you were a little older than we are, even just thirty-five versus thirty, you would probably remember Arkansas as a much better basketball program than we remember them now. But with what's weird about Arkansas is, I mean, obviously they have those those runs in the nineties, but people just don't know about them. If I'm being honest with you, I mean, there's a lot of teams now that aren't as great as they were in the eighties or the nineties. We just talked about NC state, but they have a documentary made after them. Obviously Jim Valvano carries their legacy. You look at a team, I don't know, like uh, who, who else can I think of They're Oklahoma state? They, they have a guy like Eddie Sutton carrying on their legacy, even though Eddie Sutton hasn't been coaching there since I don't know how long Arkansas. There's just, there's there's nothing carrying on their legacy. There's there's rarely, if ever, any mention about Nolan Richardson. There's no documentary or, or footage or anything about those teams. You know, it, it's just it's it's really weird. Arkansas is incredibly successful, but I feel like you have to be a not just a, even a casual college basketball fan. You have to be a pretty diehard college basketball fan to appreciate what Arkansas has contributed and how great they were. No, you probably have to be a listener of this podcast to like that's how deep of a level of college basketball you have to like be interested in to know that Arkansas is this good of a basketball program. But I think a lot of it has to do with, they just don't have NBA players. They've had five NBA players since 2000, even in the era that they were really good. They only had six more NBA players. I mean that they just don't have, nobody is carrying on the legacy of pushing that narrative of Arkansas as a basketball program on a national stage after they get done with school. I mean, th- here, here are their NBA players, you know, like Ronnie Brewer. That was 2006. He played for Arkansas, Bobby Portis, Daniel Gafford and Mason Jones. Pat Beverly too, right now. Pat, Brad, yeah. I mean, Pat, Pat Bradley. In the nineties, well, not not your guy, not your yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there's just there's just it's just a strange, you know, Joe Johnson, of course, but um, Sidney Moncrief back in the day, Corliss Williamson, but those oh, Gennaro Pargo. Let's not forget about him. Actually, but, I, I think Pargo's on a uh, coaching staff right now. But yeah, right. it's right. They, they they just don't have that that level of talent per player that got them to the NBA to continue the narrative that like, Oh, this team's, this team's dope. They just don't have yeah. those guys. Uh, all right. So for best player, we said Corliss Williamson fan favorite, Pat Bradley to sort of recoup 20 through 16, 20 is Georgetown, 19 Kansas state, 18 NC state, 17 Oklahoma state, a lot of States and 16 Arkansas. Uh, we want to remind you that you can listen to us on nothing but net channel on dash radio, but let's also get a quick message from our guy, Zach at the Barnburner podcast network. Let's go ahead and finish it off though with where am I and hugs? Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Here's a little name for you guys. Trevor Cooney. 
Remember him? Mm, yes. Trevor Cooney, former point guard uh, at Syracuse University. Trevor Cooney uh, joins the Buccini and Poland group at BBG, BPG Sports as the director of courts uh, at the 76ers Fieldhouse Elite Youth Training Center. So Trevor is responsible for all court-related activity, including basketball, volleyball, and numerous other sporting and uh, sports and programming. Excuse me. Trevor will also direct his own basketball-related camps and clinics at the Sixers Fieldhouse. So not necessarily a uh, cubicle job, but Trevor Cooney, that's what he's up to these days, uh, carrying on the long line of kind of annoying white point guards at Syracuse. You got McNamara, you got Devendorf, Trevor Cooney. I'm missing anyone else. I think I got them all. Uh, I think that's it, yeah. Was Devendorf even a point guard, or was he just... No, he was a point guard. Routens wasn't the point guard. He was the shooting guard. Okay, there you go. So that's what uh, Trevor Cooney's up to. Let's finish it off with Hugs Shark. I'll kick it to you. Any hugs? No hugs. Hugless. How hungry are you? Good God. Uh, it's just, just don't have a hug, man. You know, shark, you, know, shark, you know, Shark, we do hugs every single program, right? So, like, this isn't, like, an unexpected thing to prepare for. Yeah, I just don't have a hug. I, I don't feel like hugging anyone. Right. There's nothing on. There's nothing to get excited about. I got nothing to Base, look forward to. Baseball's back. I don't know what that has to do with, with anything. Yeah. Until I mean, yeah, so everything gets canceled like tomorrow. But all yeah. right. No, I'll I'll dive into my hug by hug. Um and I don't think you got no, this happened this week. Stanley Robinson, the family of Stanley Robinson, passed away this week. Former Yukon, great. Uh passed away unexpectedly. He was a uh uh, All-American coming out of high school, uh, pretty notable guy on those late 2000 uh, UConn teams, and he passed away at 32 years old this week. So a uh, hug for Stanley Robinson. And Subi reminded me that I did see him uh, in Glendale at the Final Four in the Phoenix area a couple of years ago. Um, not that that has anything to do with anything, but a uh, st- hug for him and his family uh, after his tragic passing here. Yeah, group hug there, group family titch hug for Stanley Robinson for sure. Uh, I also want to give a hug to Roy Williams and his wife Wanda because they've donated more than six thousand uh, dollars to fund scholarship of uh, scholarships of spring sports seniors. Say that five times fast. Whose seasons were cut short because of COVID. So good on you there, Roy Williams. Also, I want to give a hug, non-related to college basketball, but to Principal Singh. Principal Singh, a 6'10 forward from India, hug for you for signing a contract in the NBA G League to play uh, alongside the Pro Path team. Singh will be the first NBA Academy India graduate to sign a pro deal and first NBA Academy graduate to sign in the G League. So hug for you, Mr. Singh, following the footsteps, excuse me, of Sutnam Singh and of course, New Mexico State's Bular Bros. Your boys. Can we not my hug boys. your? Can we not hug your brother? Yeah, we go hug my brother. Good wedding. He's getting married tomorrow, today. No, no. Sorry, when this airs a couple days ago, he's gotten married. <laughs> Good. Uh-oh. I was gonna say we can't leave that out. Yeah. Well, hug, hug for him. I will you say though. Going... Did you say Roy Williams only gave six thousand dollars? Yeah, wait. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I didn't want to be the guy to say this. Something. Six, six what, grand. That's it. <laughs> I mean, what does he care about spring sports? I, I'm just saying, like, did he? 
I'm not judging. Those guys I, 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 I mean, I mean I'm not you judging, but. Uh, I, I think we could probably just post a po fu- uh, GoFundMe, just any of us, and get like six grand. Uh, well, like definitely the college college there. coaches are getting their salaries cut left and right. I don't know if he was one of those ones that took us pay cut. I know a few of them aren't like six grand. Is this the first time I'll have to rescind a hug? Am I getting bullied? Into I, that's, what, that's why I'm not. You know, I don't want to get into that. I'm not giving hugs right now. It's too dangerous to give hugs. You know, every, I, I could piss someone off over here. I could piss someone off over there. I'm, I'm just hugless until we get some sports coming back. Safety first. All right. Well, thank you again for listening. Uh, we will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops. That's the lowest I've ever seen Dick Vitale since the, the owner of the Detroit Pistons called him in and told him he should go into broadcasting. Right? Uh, I can't tell you what an honor it is to even be mentioned the same breath with an Arthur Ashe. Um, this is something I certainly will, will treasure forever. But as, as uh, was said on the tape, I, and I also I don't have one of those things going with the cue cards, so I'm going to speak longer than anybody else has spoken tonight. That, that's the way it goes. Time... Time is very precious to me. I don't know how much I have left, and I have some things that I would like to say. Hopefully, at the end, I'll have something that will be uh, important to, uh, to other people, too. But I can't help it. Now, when I'm fighting cancer, everybody knows that. Uh, and people ask me all the time about how you, you go through your life and how's your day. And nothing has changed for me, as Dick said. I'm a very emotional passionate man. I can't help it. That's being the son of Rocco and Angelina Valvano. That just comes with the territory, right? We hug, we kiss, we love. And, and when people say to me, how do you get through uh, life or, or each day? It's the same thing. To me, there are three things we all should do every day. We do this every day of our life. You're going to have, what a wonderful, number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think. You should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions moved to tears. Could be happiness or joy. But think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. And so I can't help. I rode on the plane up today with Mike Krzyzewski, my, my good friend and a wonderful coach, but people don't realize he's a 10 times better person then he is a coach, and we know he's a great coach. He's meant a lot to me in these last five or six months of my battle. But when I look at Mike, I think we competed against each other as players. I coached against him for 15 years, and I always have to think about what's important in life is to think to me of three things, where you started, where you are, and where you're going to be. Those are the three things that I try and do every day. And, you know, when I think about getting up and giving a speech, I can't help it. I have to remember the first speech I ever gave. I was coaching at Rutgers University. That was my first job. Oh, like, oh, that's a, wonderful. And I was the freshman coach. That's when freshmen played on freshman team. And I was so fired up about my first job. I see Lou Holtz, Coach Holtz here. What was it like the first job you had, right? The very first time you stood in the locker room to give a pep talk. That's a special place, the locker room, for a coach to give a talk. So my idol as a coach was Vince Lombardi. And I read this book called Commitment to Excellence by Vince Lombardi. And in the book, Lombardi talked about the first time he spoke before his Green Bay Packer team in a locker room. There were perennial losers. And I'm reading this, and Lombardi said he was thinking, should it be a long talk, a short talk? But he wanted to be emotional. He said, be brief. And this is what he did. 
He, he, normally, you get in the locker room, I don't know, 25 minutes, a half hour before the team takes the field. You do your little X and O's, and then you give the great Newt Rockney talk. We all do. Speech number 84. You pull him right out. You get, you get ready. Get your squad ready. Well, this is the first one I ever gave. And I read this thing, Lombardi. What he said was he didn't go in. He waited. His team was wondering, where is he? Where is this great coach? He's not there. Ten minutes. He's still not there. Three minutes before to take the field, Lombardi comes in, bangs the door open, and I think you all remember what great presence he had, right? Great presence. And he walked in, and he just walked back and forth like this, just walk, staring at the players. And he said, all eyes on me. And I'm reading this in this book, and I'm getting a picture of this Lombardi before the, his first game. And he said, gentlemen, we will be successful this year. You can focus on three things and three things only, your family, your religion, and the Green Bay Packers. And he like that. And the rest of it, they knocked the walls down. The rest was history. I said, that's beautiful. I'm gonna do that. Your family, your religion, and Rutgers basketball. That's it. I had it. I'm listen, I'm 21 years old. The kids I'm coaching are 19. All right? And I and I'm gonna be the greatest coach in the world, the next Lombardi. And I'm ready, and I'm practicing out in the right beside the locker room. The, the manager's telling me, you gotta go in. Not yet, not yet. Family, religion, Rutgers basketball. All eyes on me. I got it, I got it. And now finally he said, three minutes. I said, fine. True story. I go to knock the doors open, just like the body. Boom! It didn't open. <laughs> I almost broke my arm. I was like, you know, it was one that didn't open. Now I'm down. The players are looking. You know, coach, get, uh, help the coach up. Help him up. You know? And now I did like Lombardi. I walked back and forth. Right? And I was going like that with my arm. Get the feeling back in it. And finally I said, gentlemen, all eyes on me. And these kids wanted to play. They're 19. Let's go. I said, gentlemen, we'll be successful this year if you can focus on three things and three things only. They said, yeah. said, your family, your religion, and the Green Bay Packers, I told you. <laughs> I did that. I remember that. <laughs> I remember, I remember where I came from. It's so important to know where you are. And I know where I am right now. How do you go from where you are to where you want to be? And I think it, it, you have to have an enthusiasm for life. You have to have a dream, a goal. And you have to be willing to work for it. I talked about my family. My family is so important. People think I have courage. The courage of my family is my wife, Pam, my three daughters here, Nicole, Jamie, Leanne, my mom, who is right here, too. And, and, and the screen is flashing up there 30 seconds. Like, I care about that screen right now, huh? <laughs> I got, I, got, I got tumors all over my body. I'm worried about some guy in the back going 30 seconds. Huh? You got a lot. Hey, phenomenal, buddy. You got a lot. <laughs> all right, you kidding me? I, got, I just got one last thing. I urge all of you, all of you, to enjoy your life, the precious moments you have to spend each day with some laughter and some thought, to get your emotions going, to be enthusiastic every day. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great can be accomplished without enthusiasm, to keep your dreams alive in spite of problems, whatever you have, to be able to work hard for your dreams to, become, to come true, become a reality. Now I, I look at where I, I am now and I know what I want to do. What I would like to be able to do is to spend whatever time I have left and to give and maybe some hope to others. All right, Arthur Ashe Foundation is a wonderful thing. 
And, and AIDS, the, the, the amount of money pouring in for AIDS is not enough, but it is significant. But if I told you it's 10 times the amount that goes in for cancer research, I also tell you that 500,000 people will die this year of cancer. And I also tell you that one in every four will be afflicted with this disease. And yet, for somehow, we seem to have put it in a little bit of the background. I want to bring it back on the front table. We need your help. I need your help. We need money for research. It may not save my life. It may save my children's lives. It may save someone you love. And it's very important. And ESPN has been so kind to support me in this endeavor and allow me to announce tonight that with ESPN's support, which means what? Their, 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 their money and their dollars, that they're helping me. We are starting the Jim, Jimmy V Foundation for Cancer Research. And it's, and its motto is, don't give up, don't ever give up. And that's what I'm going to try to do. Every minute that I have left, I will thank God for the day and the moment I have. And if you see me, smile and maybe give me a hug, because that's important to me too. But try, if you can, to support, whether it's AIDS or the Cancer Foundation, so that, that someone else might survive, might prosper and might actually be cured of this dreaded disease. I can't thank ESPN enough for allowing this to happen, and I'm going to work as hard as I can, you know, for cancer research, and hopefully we'll be, maybe we'll have some cures and some breakthroughs, and I'd like to think, I'm going to fight my brains out to be back here again next year for the Arthur Ashe recipient. I want to give it next year. I know I've got to go, I've, I've got to go, and I've got one last thing. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind, it cannot touch my heart, and it cannot touch my soul. And those three things are going to carry on forever. I thank you, and God bless you all. Thank you.